bless you. Again, it is so good to have you this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians, the second chapter. We're going to go there in just a moment. But we are in this series, this, this 40 days of kingdom building. That's why somebody said, Pastor, you wore that same t-shirt last week. I will probably wear this same t-shirt for the next two or three weeks because this is what we're trying to promote, kingdom building. I had somebody tell me, say, well, that's not a very manly color. Well, I'm secure in my manliness, I guess. Um, uh, get over it. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But listen, I want us to start looking at this and continue looking at this because we are called into the kingdom of God by His love. And, and we're called to be builders of His kingdom through that love. It's the same love and that calling, that, that responsibility, that invitation is to every one of us as believers. Whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're a minister or whether you're laity, it's, it is a desire that God has for us and we're going to practice it. Come on, we're going to do this. We're going to do and accomplish what He's called us to do. Why, Pastor? Because this is my city. We're taking ownership of the fact that we have needs and issues in Richmond, Indiana. Come on. We have issues in Wayne County that need to be addressed. But listen, the Bible says very specifically and clearly that where righteousness is and righteous people are, that God's blessing can be there also. So we're saying this is our city. We're not accepting the rulership of the enemy. We're not accepting the rulership of drugs. Come on, somebody. I wish I had some help in this house. We're not accepting murder. We're not accepting those kind of things to be the norm in our city any longer, in our county. We're saying this is God's land. This is God's county. This is God's city. This is our city. We accept it and we claim it for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. You say, well, Pastor, those are bold words. Well, watch this. The Bible says this in Ephesians, the second chapter. I told you to go there. If you don't have your Bible, you can pull it up on your, your, your phone or whatever you have with you this morning. If you don't have anything, they'll put it on the screen for you. It says in Ephesians 2, said, you are no longer foreigners and outsiders, but citizens together with God's people and members of God's family. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself is the cornerstone. Watch this. In Him, all the parts of the building fit together and grow into an holy temple of the Lord. And then watch again. Through Him, you also are being built in the Spirit together with others into a place where God lives. Listen, what my desire, what I believe God's desire, what we are working towards, what I believe BWC is moving towards, is being the place that infiltrates this city. Come on. That moves into this city, moves into the place where you work, moves into the block where you live, moves into the family that you see each and every week, moves into the neighborhood and moves throughout this city and become the place where God lives. Why, Pastor? Because this is my city. Now, last week, Pastor Pat ministered to us and did an excellent job talking about the kingdom builder, Noah. He talked about Noah. And today, we want to continue to follow with builder number two. Everybody say number two. Come on. And this is a man by the name of Moses. Everybody say that name. Now, most of you know him. Most of you have probably been there, you've you've been around the church, or you've been through some Bible stories or something like that, and you know that this was the man that God used 
to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt when they were in slavery. And, and he took them on the trip or their travel through the desert to the promised land. Now, what, what I want you to understand is in, in all the years that it took them to get there, <laughs> understand this was, not, this was not a year's trip. Or at least not on, on paper. This was not on, you know, but how many of you know that sometimes you can put stuff on paper and then it takes you a lot to, longer to get where you thought you, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever tried to budget your money and, and, and on paper it looks, come on, you don't know what I'm talking like. Sometimes life gets in the way, amen? <laughs> well, it got in the way real big time for the Israelites. And what was supposed to be just a few days, a few weeks turned into 40 years. Now, that got really in the way. Everybody say, that's, that's a lot of way. But what we have to understand in all of those times, that in all the years that it took them then to get there, through all the difficulties they went through, even the rebellion they had to deal with, God was with them. He led them. He protected them. He loved them. He blessed them. And there is an amazing fact about Moses and building the kingdom that I want us to look at in the book of Exodus. Again, if you have your Bible, you can turn in just a few moments to the book of the, or the, the book of Exodus, the 35th chapter. We'll go there in just a second. But let me set this up because Exodus 35 talks about how God called upon Moses and said, Listen, Moses, I want you to get the people together and I want you to build me a tabernacle or a sanctuary for me to dwell in. Now, what you have to understand, he said, uh, Moses, I'm sure asked him, so, well, God, how are we going to do this? And God told him, you're going to ask the people to give of themselves their offerings and their talents. <laughs> in fact, he says it this way in the 35th chapter of, of Exodus, verse 4 and 5. And Moses spake to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is a thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Somebody's already squirming. Because I just said that dirty word in the house of God to people. Offering. Let me just try it again. Offering. Tell the person beside of you, quit squirming. You're going to make it look like it's me. He said, take, take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering unto the Lord. Then in Exodus, the 35th chapter, the same chapter, but verse 29, it says, The Israelite men and women who were eager to contribute something for the work that the Lord had commanded Moses to do, brought it as a, oh, watch this, spontaneous gift to the Lord. Wow. Now, listen, I, I don't know for sure if everybody got on board with this thing. I don't know if every one of the Israelites did this. But those who got involved in this gave it sacrificially of their own free will. And that, to me, is one of the amazing stories of the Exodus. You say, why is it amazing, Pastor? Because you have to understand, these were former slaves. Are you, are you listening? These are former slaves who don't have houses to live in. They're living out of tents and suitcases. Are you in the house? They don't have a whole lot. In fact, they're traveling to what's going to become their promised land, but they don't even have homes or lands yet. The Bible says what they did was they became so involved that they spontaneously gave to God and His work. In fact, the Bible, in the next chapter, Exodus 36 chapter, it says, And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed through the camp, saying, Listen, 
Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and and, and too much. Wow. From people who were former slaves, who were living out of suitcases in tents, didn't have a home to call their own, didn't have land, gave so much that Moses had to come to him and say, Hey, listen, stop, 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 stop. Listen, I got too much in this. You, you, listen, just keep it for yourself right now because we don't have any place else to put all of it. Wow. Wow. See, those people gave. And they kept on giving until finally Moses had to tell them, stop. Listen, they would come up and start giving and say, listen, no, I'm not taking an offering. Stop it. Well, I want to give. No, you're not allowed. Well, I, I feel God wants me. No, you can't give no more. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. We've got too much. See, this is what the Bible's talking about over in Matthew, the 10th chapter, where, or John, the 10th chapter, where it says, I came that ye might have life. What's abundant mean? It means more than you need. <laughs> Listen, we got too much. Just stop. Just go ahead. Just, just, just do something. I don't care what you do with it. Go ahead and plant it in the ground. I don't care. But we don't give it here because we got too much. Listen, this is the kingdom truth that I want you to see this morning. The kingdom building truth that we need to see. This is the first thing. Number one. Those people were ready and willing to give. Ready and willing to give. Now, you say, Pastor, what, what, what's this going to be about? Well, let me just, let me just, let, let's get down to it. Let's, let's be real. Everybody say, be real. That is a counter-cultural norm in today's society. At least to most people in the present. Because religion today seems to be full of people who get upset whenever a project is mentioned that involves money or investment of personal time and energy. And God forbid that anyone would stand in the pulpit when you're here and talk about, oh, tithing and giving. Oh, it's going to be one of those days. Yeah, you came on the wrong one. I apologize. No, I don't. Listen, just this, and listen, I'm not fussing. You, you, please don't take offense at this, but as a society, it is statistically proven that we are not as giving or generous as we used to be. I'm not talking about BWC, and I'm not fussing, and I'm not, please don't misunderstand. There's no pl- offering plates up here. I'm not taking another offering. I'm not going to do that. But let me give you some statistics that came from a Barner research that was done. In 2013, this is only two, little over two years ago now. You ready for this? Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal church congregation and only 5% of the entire United States tithes. Now, while 80% of Americans do give something to someone, it usually only fluctuates between 2 to 2.5% of their income. That same study goes on to say that Christians are giving, watch this, at 2 to 2.5% per capita now, while during the Great Depression, I don't know many of you remember that, but during the Great Depression, 
When we were soup lines, we had no work, we had no money, the, the dust bowl, we had problems everywhere. Everybody was in need. We're giving it two to two and a half percent now, while during the Great Depressions, Christians gave it three to three and a half or four percent. What's the point you're trying to make? Well, the point I'm trying to make is, I'm asking, what would happen? What would happen if believers, saved folk, I'm not talking about infidels, I'm not talking about heathens. You can't say that word. This I'm talking about not infidels and heathens. I'm talking about people who have no relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm just talking about believers. What would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, Oh, 10%. The tithe. Just the tithe. You ready for this? I'm glad you asked what would happen. I'm glad you asked. Let me give you this. Are you ready? In the United States, $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in just five years or under. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years or under as well. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in places where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. And you say, well, Pastor, that's a lot of money. Do you know what would happen if just the believers in the United States began to give 10%? There would be $165 billion more in the churches to do work. You know what that you say, well, well, Pastor, that's that's a whole lot of money for you. Oh, come on. Yeah, that's it's all for me. Yes, it it is. Certainly, certainly. Whatever. What I'm telling you is those starvation, water issues, fully fund missions, and you know what would be left after all the stuff I just said there? Between a hundred and a hundred and ten billion dollars would still be in the local church to do ministry. What is that from, Pastor? That's just a tithe from church people. You know what the Bible says about this? It's a little quiet in this Pentecostal church, but I'm just going to go on. Malachi, the third chapter, the tenth verse, says it this way. Bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings. Listen, I, I realize this is not a, a run and shout, uh, uh, you know, sermon. This is not a swing from the chandeliers, and that's good because we don't have any. But listen to me. Can I tell you that God has promises attached to our giving? I, this is not the route I'm going this morning, but let me just show you some. I don't even have these down. You'll just have to take these notes and, and then get them later. Proverbs, the third chapter, verse 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Luke six thirty eight, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running together. Shall men give unto you. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. There's promises. I could give you so many others. There are promises that are attached to our giving. Why? Because our God is a giver. It is His characteristic to be a giver. 
And if we're talking about building his kingdom, the word kingdom there were, that means the king's dominion or the king's domain. The way the king does business. God is a giver. A giver. So the way he does business is he gives. See, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is the kingdom. This is how we're supposed to do our business. It's how we're supposed to do our lives. Listen, I could, I could probably take this another way and talk to you about all the benefits. Talk to you about all the benefits of prosperity and all those kind of things. But, but really what I'm praying is that, number two, we will see, is that giving is a heart issue. It's not, oh, listen to you, Pastor, right now. It is not a money issue. It is a heart and trust issue. Listen. I could, I could probably teach you and preach to you this morning about all the prosperity things and how that God wants you to prosper and be blessed even, you know, coming in, going out and in the field and in the city and rising up and laying down and with your kids and with your grandkids and with your, uh, you know, in-laws and with your outlaws and everybody. And I could preach, but listen, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that this is a way God does business. He gives. Oh, I don't know how he's given to me. Well, he gave Jesus as his only son to bless you and to bring you back into a relationship so you could have eternal, everlasting life. Well, it's cold outside, Pastor, but there's still breath for you to breathe today. There's air. Some of you got up and you had heat in your house. Some of you had a car that you drove here this morning. Some of you maybe even stopped and had breakfast this morning before you got here. If you didn't, we had donuts and coffee, so don't be complaining to me. Come on, God is a giver. He is a giver. So, say this with me. God, God is, a giver. is a giver. Now listen, so our giving then is part of being in the kingdom. But giving is not a money issue. It is a heart and a trust issue. Now listen, listen. Let's, let's just, just get this out of the way. Because everybody, the minute people go to speaking about giving and tithes and offerings and money, people do one of two things. Either they puff up with pride that they've been doing it. Yeah, look, I've done my stuff. It's all those heathens that don't tithe. Get them, pastor. Come on now. You better understand Proverbs said pride goes before. Remember, it wasn't yours in the first place, so stop. Stop. Or, or the other side of the coin is that people get condemned. Well, you know, he, he must have checked the tithing records this week. Oh, shoot. Then we start poking the wife. Did you pay? And she said, I thought you did. Well, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. Now we've got a fight going on in the church. Listen, this is not about condemnation. Because let's, let's just let's stop for a minute. Let, let, I'm not even going to talk about you. Let me talk about me. So the, I'll take you off the hook. Let me put me on the hot seat. There have been times in my life that I have not trusted God. Just didn't do it. I've had him tell me specifically to do something. I didn't do it because I couldn't trust him. Now, it wasn't that he wasn't trustworthy. I just didn't trust him. I'm talking about me. I know, that, I know you all above me there. You know, you... You've already arrived at that level of perfection. You all, you got it going on, baby. Some of you are just, ooh. You are so... But for me, I've had issues of trust with him. There's been days that he has said, go do this. And I went, no. I don't have that resource. 
Well, Pastor, you got my... No, no, sometimes it wasn't having anything to do with money. Sometimes he'd tell me to reach out and touch them, but I said, no, I don't like them. I want you to speak to them. No! I don't want to. I don't like them. I don't like the way they smell. I don't even like the way they comb their hair. And some of you girls ought not to be real bad on me because some of you look at them and go, look at their shoes. They're wearing white and it's not even summer. They're wearing white shoes. Oh, my God. O-M-G. He's told me to do something. There have been times that he said, I want you to do this financially. And I went, okay, well, just a minute. Let me pull my checkbook out. (laughs) You must amend the person next to me. It's okay, God. I know sometimes. Sometimes I misdirect. It was for them. Okay, it's cool. He said, no, I wanted you. No, you didn't see, did you? Okay, now that you see, we're, we're cool again, right? He said, I want you. I went, apparently we're not communicating. Because I can't, if I do, what will I do? I've got this, I've got that, I've got, I know this is budgeted to do this. And if I take that, we're going to be in a heap of... And he says, hey, trust me. And I go, oh, don't do that to me. See, I will admit, I have some trust issues, and I've struggled at times trusting Him. And, then, and it's not that I didn't want to be obedient and, and love Him, but there are times that I have to address my trust and my heart with Him. Now, listen, we're hitting on a nerve. Listen, I'm not here to condemn, because what I want you to do is I want you to just say, let's, let's make an effort to change something. Let's make an effort to change something. You know that's what the word repent means? The word repent means to change your mind and go a different direction. So we're going to take this day, repent and say, hey, if I haven't been a giver, I'm going to say, sorry, Lord, where I missed it. And now help me to be open to you. Because my heart, my trust is in you. See, I, you know, back, back to the, the Israel. I don't know if every one of those Israelite people were involved in giving, but listen, apparently something stirred in the hearts of those people because they did it. They built the tabernacle. They, they trusted God and they did what He told them to do. And listen, this is what I want you to get. That's where real kingdom building, real kingdom giving has to start. In the heart. Just to do whatever he says to do. See, just a few moments ago, and, and, and listen, let me, let me assure you, Pastor Pat and I do not sit down and, and discuss the, the weekly sermon with the weekly music lineup, but you sang, you sang so beautifully and so, so worshipfully and so, so meaningfully, I give myself, oops, because now you're going to put it to the test, Pastor? No, I'm not, put, I'm not putting out an offering plate. But if we say we give ourselves away, then we've got to begin to move with a heart of trust. That whatever He says. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know. Well, Second Corinthians 9th chapter says this. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. 
See, that's what giving does. Giving starts in the heart with our trust of God that, that He really does love us enough to take care of us. And, and He will never ask something from us without the purpose of giving even more in return. And listen to me. From this Scripture, you know what I see from this Scripture? God loves radical heart trusting givers. Listen, please don't misunderstand. Please don't misunderstand. Listen to your pastor right now. I'm not just talking about money. But are we willing to trust God enough to give something somewhere and to do it willingly just because we love Jesus? See, sometimes I, I, I get, you know, I realize that you can't give to God without Him giving something back. And blessing you profusely. But sometimes I, I wonder about our motives sometimes when we put offerings in and our motives when we give something away. Because we think, oh, I'm going to get something. Listen, how about we start a new fad where we just do whatever he says does because we love him. Don't treat him like a Ponzi scheme. Don't treat him like a new investment strategy. Build the kingdom. Give because you love him. He's already given to you. He's already blessed us. He's already given to us. And with our trust and our faith in him, that's what reaches out to receive everything he's done. Let me give you a scripture that sometimes just slaps me upside the head. Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 21st verse says, For where your treasure is. Some of you lay in there with me. Some of you are dragging your feet like a big, stubborn. That's okay. Because I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get a kingdom truth to you. What do you treasure the most? Well, preacher, it's easy for you. No, stop. Well, if you had to deal with what I have to do, oh, stop. You don't understand what it is to have a life like mine. Stop. Where is your treasure? See, that scripture goes on there. It says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I'm talking to young people and old people. Listen, I'm talking to you, each one of you. You see, the, in the scripture, the term evil eye that was right there, if thine eye be evil, the term evil eye is a Jewish term where a person feels distressed. Listen, when other people prosper. And the person with the evil eye rejoices when other people suffer because they love their money and they don't trust anyone or anything. So therefore, they cannot be generous. They have an evil eye. But someone with good eyes in Judaism refers to someone with goodwill, benevolence, and someone who is genuinely happy when other people prosper. 
So when Jesus spoke to those people about the eye, those people knew exactly what he was talking about. He, they knew that a good eye was a generous person and an evil eye was a stingy, untrusting, sour Scrooge. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you're looking at yourself and not sure of the condition of your eyes. If you're not sure about the condition of your eyes, listen again, don't take condemnation. No, 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 no. We can repent and say, Lord, I trust you now, today, right here. Help me from this point on to be generous because everything is yours. I, you know, I think about it for just a second. I, I, I'm sure some of you are going, you know, you're thinking about those Israelite people and you're going, why would they give so much? Why wouldn't they have stopped? Why, why did they have to be told to stop? Why, why would they do this? I think if we would ask them, you know, why? I think they would say, we're building something bigger than us. We're building his kingdom. And listen to me, we're building for next Generations. See, listen to me. Parent, grandparent, young person, young married, young family, teenager. Listen to me. This kingdom that we're a part of and this building process we're involved in is bigger than what we are. It's not just about you and me and it's not just about us getting another blessing. This is about touching lives and it's about next generations. See, I, I personally, I was, I was working on this message and I, I began to think back in my life. I just spent just a few minutes in my office and I began to reminisce. Maybe that's because I have a lot of white now instead of a lot of dark. And the older I get, the more I remember than I... Never mind. But I, I was sitting there at my desk and I began to remember and reminisce about some people who have invested into me. I think of, just pardon me, and let me, give me just a second, because I think back to my high school days to a man by the name of Leo Longnecker, who was my high school advisor, who told me I could go to college. You say, well, what's, what's so big about that? Everyone around me told me I just needed to go into the woods and keep working as a lumberjack. You don't have... The demeanor for college, Harris. You'll never make it. You'll drop out. You'll just spend money. You won't make it. Leo Longnecker looked at me across that counseling desk and he said, Ken Harris, you can go to college and become something. He was the one that spurred me on to get my Ph.D. in theology. I think of people like a, a woman by the name of Janice Boggs. Now, you don't know her. She's already gone to Jesus and on to glory. She was my Sunday school teacher. She told me in the late 60s, early 70s, that it was still okay. You could be macho as a guy and love Jesus. I think of, I think of people like Anthony Lombard. Angela, my wife Angela and I are our first pastor. Who took a chance on us when we were straight, fresh, and green out of college. In fact, we had been married one week. He hired us and gave us an opportunity to start in the ministry. 
I think of uh, Pastor Fred Wilson who taught me about time management and office structure and goal setting. Pastor Herschel Gamel, who inspired me to have a love for God's Word, and especially the Greek and the Hebrew. I think of a, a pastor by the name of uh, Paul Paino, Dr. Paul Paino, who, who, who taught me to believe for something bigger than I was at the moment. The way he did that was he would point around the church a 3,000-seat auditorium where about 4,500 people per week came. And that old guy with his flannel shirt told me, you can believe for greater. I think of, I think even recently of Pastor Larry Stevenson who taught me and showed me to love and to follow the Holy Spirit regardless of what you see and hear and know. I personally, I've had a lot of people who invested into my life. There's been a lot of people. I think of my wife and she has fondly told me of stories about her grandmother, Nanny Maggie who spent hours on her knees in the bathroom praying and interceding for her family, her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, and her heritage. I think of, of, of Milo and Flora, her, her, her grandpa and grandma, who loved Jesus. They weren't, they weren't special preachers of the gospel, but their lives inspired her to keep living. We've had a lot of people who have invested into us. And I think, I think, I'm just bringing this to a point. Please just bear with me a moment. I think if you were to stop for a moment and look back over your life, you've had a lot of people who invested into you. Invested into you sacrificially gave into you. They invested into you. I want you just, and I know, I'm not sure about the time, but I won't go long, but listen, listen. Think for just a moment. I know Pastor Pat has related stories to me, and I'm not trying to get sappy or, or you know, too much here, but I, I remember Pat, Pastor Pat has actually a picture in his office of grandpa, of his grandfather, I believe it was, that would pray out on the farm, kneeling on that farm, praying for next generations. Listen to me. What, I, what I'm trying to tell you is a very simple thing. Someone invested in to you. And that's, that was the kingdom builder Moses and even the people of Israel. They invested and built something bigger than themselves. They built for next generations because they were building for the kingdom. Can I, can I, can I try to bring this to a close? I believe I've got your attention, but let me tell you this. We all have some next generations that we love and want to see blessed. I don't know if maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren, maybe it's nephews, nieces, cousins, friends. How many of you in this house, without, without revocation, can say, I have some next generations I want to see blessed?
Well, let me give you some practicalities. Are you ready for this? Let me give you some practicalities. How do we start doing this then? How do we invest? Number one, start giving something somewhere. Every one of us, both young person, old, middle-aged, wherever you are in life, become involved somewhere. Maybe, listen, maybe you can start with your tithing and giving into this local house. If you don't do it right now, start. Maybe you can start with you becoming involved somewhere and giving of yourself somehow in a ministry that's associated with this house. Or maybe you could reach out and give some time and energy into a local food ministry or, or a volunteer program that reaches and touches other people. Become involved somewhere. Give. Start. It's not, I realize, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I hear in my mind some of you screaming out going, Pastor, you don't know how busy I am. I understand. But also I'm going to tell you, stop. And remember, this is not just about us. This is about next generations. This is my city. This is about next generations in my city. Listen, I'm going to tell it to you this way. Can can I just be just as frank and open? Because next generations are counting on us. They're counting on us to pave the way. Let me, let me put it to you this way. If I, could, if I could paint a picture. I am standing on the shoulders of several people, many people that have invested into me. I'm standing on their shoulders. And listen to me. Listen. Listen. If I go to be with Jesus before he comes for his bride, the church, I want somebody to stand on my shoulders. Invest and give into something, somewhere, somehow, some way. Then number two, practicality. Take your giving to the next level. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, take what you're doing now to another level, a next level, with a new attitude and a new heart of trust. What he says, do. When he says, do. Take, take your tithing. You that are tithers, listen, take your tithing and make it joyful. Something you get to do Because of His grace and His blessing, rather than something you have to do under the law. Take what you do. Take what you give. And see it as a real investment into people and the kingdom. Listen, I could could take this so many ways. But I want to be cautious because I realize we all have... Time issues, but listen to me. I, I can't. I can't just close this out without just telling you this. Someone is counting on your investment. Listen to me, Daddy. Listen to me, Mommy. Listen, Grandpa. Listen, Grandma. Listen, Uncle. Listen, Aunt. Someone's 
counting on your investment into the kingdom. Why are we doing this, Moses? Why would we give so much that you have to tell us to stop? Because we're building for next generations. They were building something for a promised land they weren't even in. They were still in the desert. They were still in the 40 years of preparation. But they were investing into something that was next. Look, I want you to do just one thing, just very quickly. Just look down at your feet. Whose shoulders do you stand on? Maybe it was a praying mother or father. Maybe a grandmother or grandfather. Maybe some of you say, I didn't have that, Pastor. Listen, you had someone that invested into you. Whose shoulders are you standing on? Now look up, look up, look up. Because I want you to just kind of look at those shoulders out of the corner of your eyes. Who are you going to allow to stand on yours? There's not one parent that would ever say, I don't want my children to do better than me. If I go to be with Jesus before He comes for the bride and the church and the rapture, I want the next pastor to blow this place apart. And he's going to have to do something. Because I'm going to try with all my might to blow too. But listen to me. This is what the scripture says in Colossians, the third chapter. And I'm going to end with this. It says, And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Stand with me in this house. I want, the, I want the band to come because I believe it was so appropriate what they just shared just a few moments ago with that song. I give myself away. And I want them to, I want them to lead us in that one more time because this is a kingdom building truth. This is a kingdom building truth. Giving is a part of the kingdom. And I know the minute we hear the word giving, we automatically think money. Yes, it involves your money. Yes, it does. Listen, I met with the board yesterday. We set up an aggressive budget for 2016. We're planning on upping we're planning on upping our missions and, and evangelism budgets by over $14,000 more this year. Well, where are you going to get that? You get that from me? You think you're going to get that from me? No, because you're going to be stingy. I'm going to get that from people who love the kingdom, who love Jesus, who love next generations, and are willing to give something somewhere. I want to do this with you because I did not preach or teach about giving so that even one person would be condemned by the enemy about what you haven't done. Listen to me. Listen to your pastor. 
I, guard the doors, guys. Nobody leaving. Listen to your pastor. I don't care what you didn't do. I don't care what you didn't do. I don't care what you haven't done. I don't care. What I care about is a heart that will trust Him to do what He says do now. Today. Tomorrow. That when I go into that job and Miss Nasty Mouth is there, Mr. Rubs Me the Wrong Way walks in the door. Come on, none of you know who I'm talking about, but you know, when I go to the mail and I get that letter with the window, see, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. When I get the phone call and the minute they tell me who it is, I'm going, I remember this is about an investment because God and others have invested into me. So here's what we're going to do. Let's repent. You ready? Let's just repent. Let's say, Lord, forgive me for what I haven't done. Forgive me where I did not trust you. Forgive me I give it to you. And today, this is a new day. New mercies. New grace. New obedience. I give myself to you. I give myself away. In Jesus' name.